you know, don't don't get all defensive just because today I'm speaking all offensive facts. Don't don't you do it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lombardi Time Brews. I'm glad to be back today. Yes, after Wednesday off for a number of personal conflicts, I am back today. And, you know, I decided today to just take a look at the roster in a much more detailed approach. Now, some of the information, if you follow day by day, is going to be redundant for you. If you watch every single episode of mine or you just you scour every single Packer podcast out there, some of this is, of course, going to feel quite familiar to you. But there's also a lot of people come draft season that just kind of come around for the draft and then go back to enjoying their offseason. And so I have referenced a lot of this stuff before when doing mock drafts or talking about why the Packers may choose a running back or an offensive tackle or whatever. But I didn't get quite so nuanced to dive into contract details, uh, to dive into how long on average do we have a number of these players for. So I decided I would do that today. And in doing so, if we can ascertain a really good grip on where the Packers kind of plan is right now for the offense and a really good grip on how long that plan may be able to hold, then we can finally understand and be on the same page as the Green Bay Packers for what they may be aiming to do in the 2023 draft. Coming up soon, I'll do the exact same thing for the defensive side of the ball, because the defense maybe doesn't have as many places the picks could go, but he's still got a lot. And the thing with this Packers roster on the whole is it's young. I mean, when was the last time we talked about having such a young Packers roster, right? Like, we got to go back back to the mid-2010s when they were always one of the youngest because Ted Thompson was allergic to free agents. But now, this is different. This Packers is a young team. It's 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 going to be an exciting year, isn't it? Just, just for something different. So, we're going to dive in. We're going to go position by position. If you happen to be a brand new subscriber here, welcome! I know we've had a lot as of recent. I'm overjoyed about that. So, welcome to Lombardi Time Brews. Let's dive in and take a look at the Packers. First up, position, of course, the most important one in football, perhaps in all of sports, the quarterback position. And the Green Bay Packers have some questions here, obviously. Right, Aaron Rodgers on his way to getting shipped off to the Jets, but Jordan Love going to be taking over in his first year as starter. And I'm going to remind you, back when the Packers were preparing to hand the keys over to Aaron Rodgers from Brett Favre, they drafted Brian Brom in the second round of that draft. Now, it was done so at the time. It's kind of funny. I went back and I watched some of the old draft clips, especially from ESPN, and Brian Brom was picked and they were all sitting there going, I think this is a real quarterback competition in Green Bay now. Brian Brom's got a higher ceiling than Aaron Rodgers. Well, I mean, we know how that turned out. Even Matt Flynn beat out Brian Brom for the number two job, right? So the other thing that I will point out here is when they picked a quarterback in the second round, that was equally as much just to get a backup for young Aaron Rodgers because they had Brett Favre and they had Aaron Rodgers. But once they turned the keys over to Rodgers, suddenly who was going to be that backup? The depth chart at the time was empty. Not totally unlike right now. Of course, the great Aaron Rodgers is on his way out. They're turning the keys to Jordan Love. Now who else you got on the roster? We know it'll be a successful franchise. You got to at least have some level of competency at backup quarterback. We've seen what happens when you don't. 
So you would think that the Packers are somehow going to address the number two quarterback job, as well as perchance number three. Speaking of which, that takes us to Danny Etling. Danny Etling historically has been a number three quarterback, mostly a practice squad body throughout his career. Uh, Basically, it looks like QB3 is his ceiling. He does have some exciting tools, but they've never been able to translate into a consistent level on the field. So are the Packers comfortable ascending him to the depth chart? I don't think there's any way he's going to be Jordan Love's actual QB2. But are they comfortable with him still being that QB3 scout team practice squad type guy? In which case, then the needed quarterback isn't quite so great. But if they want to use this opportunity to revamp the room, move on from Antling, get a vet for number two, get a rookie for number three, this is probably their cleanest chance to do it. I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention the contract terms here. Jordan Love, as we know, is, of course, under contract for next year. But his fifth-year option does have to be activated by May 1st of 2023 that fifth year contract is of course for the 2024 season yeah they don't have to pick it up for him to start this year i've seen people still confused about that the fifth year option is for 2024 and it comes in an evaluation of approximately 20 million dollars now the flip side is the packers could choose not to exercise that option on their future starting quarterback and just go into this year as kind of a i guess you'd call it lame duck year for their young quarterback just on the one year of his contract. But of course, the Packers do own his rights because if he performs well, they could slap the franchise tag on him next year instead of having him play under the fifth-year option. Well, the difference here is that fifth-year option is about $20 million. The franchise tag for quarterback is about $45 million. So, I think it's a foregone conclusion that the Packers do pick up that option on May 1st. If if for nothing else, then in a lot of ways, it's just kind of risk management to save yourself $25 million in 2024. If he goes out and he's absolutely awful this year, then yes, you're on the hook for a $20 million quarterback who hopefully you could find a team that would look to give him another shot. I don't, I still believe that the Packers are going to pick it up. Let's move on to the running back position. As I've been saying, this is a sneaky, sneaky need for the Green Bay Packers. Look, Aaron Jones turning 29 years old this year. When he turns 30 next year, his contract is going to be coming to an end. He's got two years left on this redone contract where he just took a $5 million pay cut earlier in the offseason. Then he's got three void years tacked on after that. But that contract next year, 2024, he's due to make $17.7 million in the form of a cap hit, 12.3 of which is going to be a dead money. So... I, it, there's a lot of possibility here that this is Aaron Jones's last year in Green Bay. And I know we said the exact same thing last year. Then he took a pay cut, they redid the deal, etc. But he's 29. Next year, he's going to be 30. He's going to be a 30-year-old running back with a $17 million cap hit. Generally, those types of running backs are released in the NFL because we know 30 is the cliff for running backs, right? And you especially don't want to be paying him $17 million at that age. So, of course, he's the engine that makes the offense go. But how much time do you have left with Aaron Jones is the question that a lot of people in 1265 Lombardi have to be asking themselves. Now, let's flip over to running back 1B or running back 2, A.J. Dillon. Yes, the expectant father-to-be. He's entering the last year of his contract. And I think... I really do think that he's an extension candidate. Everyone's talking about locking up Rashawn Gary, as they should be. But I think A.J. Dillon is another offseason extension candidate here. The Packers do seem to love him. He obviously has ingrained himself in the culture of Wisconsin. 
But on the field, he... <sighs> trying to think of the right way to say this, right? He's wonderfully efficient at times. And running through a cement mixer at other times. And he seems to get better, this is two years in a row now, that he gets better as the winter gets colder and the season goes on. But how do you get him to run like that in September? That's the question that the Packers have got to ask if they want to lock him up to an extension. Now, what does an extension look like for A.J. Dillon? Honestly, I don't think it's that far off from what we saw Jamal Williams just sign for. Something like 4 to $6 million a year. I don't think A.J. Dillon's play in the last couple of years has warranted looking at the 10 to $12 type million dollar region that some running backs find themselves in, like Aaron Jones. I think Dillon is much more in the Jamal Williams' category of the world, something like $4 million a year, which again, to me, says that sounds like an extension candidate to help ease the stability of the position long term. So you've got Jones, who may only have one year left, but at most two. You've got Dylan, who's got a question mark of a future, who may get an extension. Then after that, you got Patrick Taylor and Tyler Goodson. Now, Patrick Taylor has basically like two years left in his deal. He's making $940,000 if he makes the roster this year. Then he's an RFA after that. Uh, RFA meaning restricted free agent. On the other side, you've got Tyler Goodson, who I was a little surprised didn't get more of a chance last year. Uh, Goodson has two years left on his actual contract due to make about $750,000 if he's on the roster this year. So you've got Jones, you got Dylan, and then you've got Taylor, who they're comfortable with but isn't ideal. You got Goodson, who's a major question mark with some potential. And we know Matt LaFleur wants three capable running backs on his 53-man roster. I got to believe that this is going to be an area where they're going to severely consider spending at least a mid-round pick on a running back. It's not going to be first round. Probably won't be second. But I could see it being in the middle rounds where the Green Bay Packers look at this position and say, we got Jones for one, maybe two if we can afford it. We got Dylan, Taylor Good. We got to do something here. And I could see it coming. Now let's look at the wide receiver position. Yes, the much maligned, much questioned wide receiver position in here. Yeah, Christian Watson. I'm going to make this one really easy. Watson, three years left on his deal. Dobbs, three years left on his deal. Samari Toure, three years left on his deal. And Of which, by the way, I didn't realize this, but I went and dove into the numbers a little bit. Samari Toure played 63% of his snaps when he was lined up out wide at slot. They used him as a slot on more than half of the snaps that he played. Now, I know that you're looking at him and you're going, yeah, he's like six foot one, 190 pounds. He's a slot receiver. Okay, but they also played Christian Watson out of the slot quite a bit. So I'm kind of wondering where Toure's role is. I mean, there's no true slot receiver in Green Bay with the way that Lafleur employs his receivers. But I do just wonder what Toure's future looks like in terms of his true position and where he's going to fit. Keep in mind, he was a very late pick last year. I... I don't know. Um, so anyway, he's got three years left on his deal. Then you're looking at Bo Melton, who's under contract for $750,000 this year. He would hit unrestricted free agency in 2026. So he's got three years left, technically. Um, and there's widespread speculation right now that Bo Melton might actually be, unless they get someone in this draft, unless they get someone different, that he might be their gadget guy. The Tyler Irvin, what Amari Rogers was supposedly supposed to be, their motion guy in the offense. They did like him quite a bit in the draft, I guess, but they didn't pull the trigger on him and they wound up with Toure. Then they wound up getting Melton when he was waived by the Seahawks. So maybe they have a role carved out for him. Maybe not. And then you've got Jeff Cotton, 
who has spent time with the Jaguars practice squad, the Cardinals practice squad, uh, the Chargers practice squad. I mean, he seems by all accounts by a practice squad body. So the Packers wide receiver position, you've got your definitive 1A superstar, Christian Watson. And then you've got who someone who you feel by all counts pretty comfortable with is your number two, Romeo Dobbs. And then let's call him a traditional slot for all intents and purposes, Samari Toure. And then you got your gadget guy, Bolt Melton. So you got Watson, you got Dobbs, two seventh round picks. And then like nothing, like nothing. I mean, quite literally after Cotton, there is no one employed at wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers right now. I know that they want to add a veteran somehow, be it through the draft, or obviously can't add a vet through the draft, but be it through a trade, specifically the Aaron Rodgers trade, or a free agent yet, but they obviously want a vet. Beyond that, though, they just straight up need more bodies. There's just not enough. It's as great as Watson may be, the shining star at wide receiver. And as much as you like Dobbs' potential and compare him to Donald Driver or other Packer greats, and as much as you got question marks in Toure and Melton, who else you got? Because you're going to need more than four. And even then, each one of those four has a pretty fairly definitive place where they play. So... Wide receiver, I understand you've got to build the line. There's, there may be higher priorities. But wide receiver is very much a priority need for this team. And Matt LaFleur said as much that they're aiming to surround Jordan Love with weapons. Well, they they got to go acquire some in order to do that. Speaking of weapons, let's take a look at the tight end position. We all know, right? Whether you follow the team closely or you're just checking in. Tight end is a need for the Packers. Robert Tunyon's gone to the Bears. Mercedes Lewis is somewhere probably going to wind up with the Jets and so what that's left you with is Josiah Deguara, Tyler Davis and then a couple practice squatters the practice squatters being Austin Allen, Nick Guillermos, each of them having two years left on their contract it looks like um, but by all accounts I mean Allen may have some receiving potential but other than that like if these are predominantly practice squad bodies so on your de- actual definitive roster you've got Josiah Deguara and you've got Tyler Davis now Deguara gets employed all across the field inline tight end occasionally actually in the slot in a traditional fullback role let's call it or h-back he just goes all over and Matt LaFleur has said as much in press conferences that that's the way they view him as an offensive weapon that they can move around to manipulate matchups and we also know that Jordan Love happens to like targeting Josiah Deguara a lot more than Aaron Rodgers ever did I mean, that's evidenced even in the game that Jordan Love came in for a little bit of time to relieve Rodgers. I believe it was in Minnesota. And all of a sudden, DeGuara had targets where he had never had any in the game prior with Rodgers. Love and DeGuara do have some kind of connection. And I do think that that could mean a great productivity increase for DeGuara this coming year. But what do they really have there? If you're if he's a weapon that you view going all over, then he can't really be your definitive tight end one who's in line every snap, right? And he also can't be your Travis Kelsey type who you're just going to line up at the slot and basically be a gigantic wide receiver all the time, right? No, he's something different. Which means you still have a need at those spots, even if Duquara gets a large productivity increase this coming year. Now, and Tyler Davis is, is kind of a different story in that he was built up last offseason by Brian Gutekunst saying that they really might have something there. And then he had a god-awful preseason. 
and then he made the roster, much to the anger of many a Packer fan, and then he wound up playing a lot of special teams snaps, playing quite competently for Rich Pisacci on special teams, which is probably what led him to being re-signed on a one-year contract this year. So you're looking at DeGuara, who's got one year left on his deal. You got Tyler Davis, who's got one year left on his deal. And then again, you got a couple practice squatters and no one. These are holes. Wide receiver and tight end just straight up need bodies. And it very well could be the highest of emphasis. I'm not saying guaranteed first round, because there are still other possibilities, of course. But this is something that is going to be addressed, I think, early and often in this draft for the Green Bay Packers. Now let's take a look at offensive line. Specifically the tackles first. I know it's become incredibly common, incredibly cliche to see that the Green Bay Packers are going to do something boring in round one and pick a tackle. And there's really nothing wrong with that at all. But my question is you've already got one of the better offensive lines in football. The question is, past this year, what does that offensive line look like? But are you going to spend your first round pick this year on someone who you don't really plan to play this year? Or if you do, are you going to move someone else to ensure that this rookie has playing time? Because look, I mean, you retained David Bakhtiari on a restructured contract. He's 32 years old now. He's got two years left in his contract. You know he's sticking around this year. He just restructured. But how about next year? In 2024, his cap number jumps up to $40.4 million. Yes, David Bakhtiari next year in 2024 is making QB money. So the likelihood that the Green Bay Packers are hanging on to him in 2024 isn't that high. Unless you're looking at some kind of extension to bring his number down or something. And are you extending a 33-year-old tackle? Besides that, you got Yash, who's entering a one-year tender at approximately $4 million. And is he... Is he your bona fide starting right tackle next year? You got Zach Tom, who's got three years left in his contract. And no one's quite sure where he's going to play. I mean, he's competent across the board. Some people believe that his best spot, and maybe where the Packers picked him, was to be competition for Josh Myers at center. So where's he going to go? And then uh, besides that, you got Rasheed Walker, Caleb Jones, Luke Tenuta, all of which have three years left in their contract. Plus, you got a practice squad body and Gene DeLance. You had a lot of tackles. So if you're going to spend a first round pick on a tackle this year, which again is fine because you got to prioritize the trenches, where are they going to go? You already got a lot. Obviously, a first round pick is going to be an upgrade over a number of them, especially the ones in the bottom tier. But again, if you've got Bakhtiari and Yash and Tom and a first rounder, whew, you certainly are investing in one spot. I personally would probably prefer them to see something spent like a round two or round three pick on an offensive tackle. Maybe someone with really explosive traits who's a little bit more of could use a redshirt year. If you're going to pick a tackle, do it that way. I think that's how the Packers are going to get their most value this year. To me, it all comes down to this. To say how high of a need is this for the Green Bay Packers comes down to these four questions. Have they had extension talks with David Bakhtiari or Yash Nyman? If the answer is yes, then the need for a tackle goes down. Where is Tom's actual position? Do you view him as the right tackle of the future or taking over for Bakhtiari next year or two years from now? If so, the need for a tackle goes down. 
How much do they truly believe in last year's late round editions of Rashid Walker, Caleb Jones, Luke Tenuta? We know that every single one of them was put there because of potential. And Walker, when he was able to play last year, actually looked really good. Caleb Jones made progress through training camp and preseason and is a mountain of a human being. And Tenuta, by all accounts from what we've heard, also made a lot of progress. Did they make enough progress to be future Yash Nyman's to where you want them to start next year? Maybe. Question four, is Elton Jenkins pigeonholed into guard now? Or is Elton Jenkins still a future tackle for the stability of this line? Because if the answer is he's a future tackle, then again, the need for tackle goes down. So while I do view tackle as a need, it's more so a need in the sense of they need to have a plan and they need to know what they have in the talent on their roster right now. It's not a need in the fact of like, we need to go spend a first round pick on a guy who's going to start at right tackle tomorrow. I just don't see that. Moving to the interior offensive line, it is a little bit more of a question. Obviously, you've got Elton Jenkins, who now 28 years old, locked into what is turning out to be a bargain of a contract extension at $17 million. And he's locked up all the way through 2026 and 2027 even. 2026 is where it makes the most sense that if they're ever going to move on from this contract, it's probably in 2026 when his cap is $24 million and only comes with $4.8 million in dead cap. Starting at your other guard position, you got John Runyon Jr., 26 years old, entering the last year of his contract. And I understand very much if they enter this offseason and they say, we want to upgrade John Runyon Jr., we want someone with more of an attack on the run game. That makes sense. Runyon has excelled at pass blocking more so than run blocking. He's a very, very clean blocker, but he's not necessarily the most aggressive. And then you've got your starting center, Josh Myers. Two years left on his contract, and the big issue with Myers is his highs have been high. He's been very capable at times, and his lows have been low, looking very, very lost. Same thing as Runyon, you hope that he develops more of a punch in the run game. The big thing with Myers is consistency. Who is he? How good is he down in and down out? And then depth, you got Sean Ryan, who's got three years left on his deal, but what is his deal? Dude didn't play football last year, that's for sure. And then he got Royce Newman, who still has two years left. Newman. Yeah, hmm. So those of you who have stuck around the channel for a long time know how I feel about Royce Newman. And then you got Jake Hansen, my other buddy, who still on the depth chart is listed as center guard. And so, help me, I don't want to see Jake Hansen playing guard anymore. We know how that experiment went. Badly. But he's back on a one-year $940,000 deal. At the end of the day, you have 13 offensive linemen on this team, and they all have an average of 2.38 years left in their contracts. Is offensive line a need? Yes. Is it the number one need on this team? No. What they need is a plan for the future, not necessarily more bodies. Will they still address it in the draft? Totally. You can bank on it. Brian Gutekunst will address the offensive line. But I just don't think it's as high as other people are saying it is. Nonetheless, you can look across this entire offense and say every single position has some level of draft need to it. That's terrifying. That's not, it's not a great omen for the offense. But Packers are a team in transition, and transitions come with holes. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Lombardi Time Brews. I'll be back on Monday. Uh, depending on how things go, maybe it'll be a mock draft, maybe it'll be a mock draft roundup, maybe it'll be the defense of the same thing. I don't know. We'll see. 
Let's get to Monday first. Hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. If you celebrate Easter, I hope it's absolutely great for you as well. Have a great weekend, and as always, Go Pack Go!